Hallelujah. Father, we welcome you here this morning. Father, we welcome you by your Holy Spirit. We just take a moment to just wait before you. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you that you are who you are. Thank you, Lord. Father, we welcome you here this morning. Father, we welcome you by your Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are. Where have y'all where have y'all been? I've been here. Crazy, isn't it? What's going on? But uh at least we're used to it. In some degree, we're used to it. So that's a good thing. Hope you all had a great Christmas. Certainly, it was a different kind of Christmas this year, as we said on the Christmas Eve service. But uh, nonetheless, God is with us. His Holy Spirit is in us. His Word is leading us. And we all have varying degrees of, uh, of that. But we're all here because we want to have more of that. So we're just thankful today. Um, I just want to read a, a piece of scripture before I start. Someone sent me this week, Isaiah 41, 8 to 16. It's a good way to start. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen. That's you and I. You descendants of Abraham, my friend. We're descendants of Abraham because we have faith, right? Varying degrees of that. I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you, and I said, you are my servant, and I have chosen you, have not rejected you. 
Pretty powerful stuff right there. I've chosen you and I've not rejected you. We reject ourselves an awful lot, but God doesn't. So, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a promise. And again, that's a promise that some of us are living in varying degrees. Some of us are, are holding on to that tooth and nail. Some of us just know it, and we don't need to hold on to it so tight because life is not having us look at something like that and go, yes, Lord, yes. But I think most of the world right now needs to know that the Lord will uphold us with his right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced, and those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish, talking about how the spiritual warfares that we are in, that at one day it will be vanquished. At one day they will be gone. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. There's, they're still waging war, but they'll be as nothing as we continue the war. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, you worm, Jacob, little Israel. Do not fear. How often do we see ourselves that way? Little Jacob, little Israel, a worm. That sounds a little bit negative, but we are but dust. For I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And it's just so good to know these truths this morning as we start in and look at a, the end of a year that, oh, please, Lord, let this year be gone. Let it be gone, right? And everything in it be gone. Well, not everything, but some things for sure. But um, we're starting with a new pulpit. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Walt built that for me. Yeah. Well, he didn't build it for me. He built it for God. And I'm not saying that to be pious. I know his heart. Uh, he built it for God, and he built it for the church. Uh, so it's just so beautiful, such an incredible. He made it in his apartment. <laughs> it's amazing what some people can do. But we were talking, um, of course, we had the Christmas Eve service. And, uh, but before that, we were talking about Gideon. And we're going to start in, and uh, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to be in this word today, to be its truth. Father, help your word to come alive. Help me to have the proper understanding of it. Help me to say your words, Father God. Help me to speak from your spirit and cause this to be food for us, strength for us, hope for us. Cause us to be rise, raised up in faith through this, Father God. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Uh, we left off with Gideon. He was called. What's very interesting about Gideon is that Gideon had a very severe faith issue. He was full of faithlessness and he was full of fear. And a lot of people, when they talk about Gideon, Gideon, by the way, for those who are not familiar with the Old Testament, some of the people in the Old Testament... He is a person in the Old Testament that God came down to and talked to and commissioned him to do something, to go and deliver Israel out of all of these Midianites who were coming to every year and would steal everything that the Israelites had 
groan and take everything and just make their life miserable every year. This reoccurring plague would come upon the Israelites. So of all the people in all of Israel that God could have chosen, he came down and chose Gideon. Very interesting that God would choose Gideon. Because as we know from the last talk that we did about Gideon, he is a guy that had no faith, he was full of fear, and he had no problem saying that at all. But it's, it's interesting. God purposefully picked Gideon to fight it because he was going to prove something to Israel and he was going to prove something to you and I today as we sit here, how many ever, 3,500 years later, whatever the time frame is. God chooses, and he does this all the time. Uh, it's amazing, and I'm a living example of it, and you're all a living example of it at points. God chooses to work with some of the most unqualified people to achieve his miraculous outcomes. The Bible is full of it. We just have to grapple with that, and we just have to understand that that is the way God likes to work. He likes to choose people that don't seem fit for the job and maybe are not fit for the job in the natural. But Gideon is an exceptional case of this because he probably is known more for the poor guy He's known more for his lack of faith than anything else and his fear that he had. Well, remember, this is the complaint that Gideon made to God back in Judges 6.13. Sir, Gideon replied, and he's talking to the angel here. If the Lord is with us, if, if, now don't you look at me with that laughing face, Because you all know that you said it sometimes too. What? Come on. You all know that at times in your life, you said, is God really with me? And if you haven't gone through one of those experiences, I pray you never have to. But that is a very, very dark place. Nonetheless, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Because he was judging the circumstances that they were in, that Israel was in. And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. In the natural, he had every right to say that. He really did. He had every right to say it in the natural. But in the spiritual realm, our goal is to go past the natural and go up into the spiritual. And it's never easy It's always something that God has to help us do. So God is about to give Gideon and us a lesson about how these miraculous events come about through God's power, not man's ability. This is the whole story of of Gideon in some ways. And how merciful and patient and gracious that God is in our weakness. God was very accommodating of Gideon's weaknesses and fear. First of all, Gideon said, you have to prove to me this angel's talking to him. Now an angel is talking to him. And you know what's interesting about that is that the angel did not have any natural appearance that made Gideon go, wow, I am talking to an angel. That piece of scripture that sometimes we entertain angels unaware. So angels don't always come with wings and flying and glowing. But nonetheless, he had come and he spoken to Gideon, and Gideon said, well, okay, he told Gideon that 
he was going to go and deliver uh, Israel and everything. And Gideon said, well, that's okay. Prove to me you're an angel. And, of course, God did it. And by consuming the offering, the angel just put his staff on the offering, and poof, the whole thing went up in smoke. And then Gideon says to God, you know about the fleeces. He said, well, okay, that's good. But God, if you really want me to do this, now understand, this, understand this level, you and I would probably say, hey, if an angel came down and did that, well, that's it. I'd go out and conquer the world. I'd go out and be so amazing. But in actuality, sometimes, you know, we need a little bit more than even that. And Gideon was one of those people in one of those situations. Because when the angel was gone, the situation was still there. Right? So he said, here's what you need to do, Lord. You need to take a fleece. I'm going to put a fleece on the threshing floor, some wool or something. And he said, in the morning I want the fleece to be wet and the whole floor to be dry. And, of course, as you know, that happened. He squeezed it. He got a whole, you know, cup full or more of water. He said, well, gee, that's pretty good. But that might have been a coincidence. That might have been a coincidence. So I want you to do the reverse tomorrow. And God says, okay. The next day, the floor is wet and the fleece is dry. It's craziness. And Gideon says, well, okay, let's give her. So he's saying, we're going to go and we're going to take over these Midianites. And then God does something very interesting. He deliberately pushes Gideon's fear button. He's just got Gideon at a place where Gideon's saying, you know, I think we can do this. I think God's actually with me. I think I'm actually not out of my mind. I think we're actually going to be able to save all of Israel, this little clan, this me, the least of all of them. And I think we can actually do this. And then God turns around and sticks his finger right in to Gideon's wound or weakest place, whatever it is. Why? Because God knew there was fear instead of faith in him still. God saw it. Gideon thought, well, okay, uh, okay, we'll give this a shot. But God knew there was still some stuff down there. It says from the New Living Translation, chapter 7. Um, so Jer- Jeroboam, I could never pronounce that, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moray. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid, you may leave this mountain and go home. And you guys know the scripture. 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. God did that on purpose. Because there were many other times that God kept the whole army and used the whole army and they went out and fought. But what's interesting about this, this isn't so strange. It, it, it might have even given Gideon some pause if he knew his Old Testament because in Deuteronomy, there's a law. It's one of the, it's not one of the moral laws, but it's one of the operational kind of mission statements laws for how they should act. In Deuteronomy 28, then the officers will also say, because they're talking about being at war, is anyone here afraid or worried? If you are, you may go home before you frighten anyone else. 
God actually gave that concession. He knows what we're made out of. He knows, he knows what we're made out of. So, you know, Gideon might have been saying at that point, okay, well, okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. But just imagine what he thought when he saw all those men leaving. 20,000 men. He might have been expecting maybe 1,000, maybe 100, maybe 500. 22,000 men left, leaving him only 10,000, which is still a good chunk of people, right? What's amazing is 22,000 people were frightened enough to leave. Meanwhile, who was he up against? Now that he only had 10,000 people, Judges 7.12 tells us, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east, there was a whole group of allies. Well, actually, they weren't allies. They were actually enemies at times, but they were all together, and they all hated Israel. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to anybody? That there's all these nations surrounding Israel that hate them? Sounds uncannily like it's today, doesn't it? Understand, the circumstances have changed. The spirits have not. So the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Now picture Gideon at this point. Here's a guy who's already got fear all over him. And now God's just pulled all his people away. And he's got this little army compared to this massive thing. I, I can't imagine but that Gideon wanted to run. He was most likely saying, I don't have what I need to win, never mind to survive. I mean, just picture it. He's, he's looking at this. How many times have you and I been in circumstances where we've said, this is too much for me. I'm not going to survive this. But what's, what's good about Gideon in this case is he stays the game. He stays in. He doesn't give up. You've got to give the poor guy something. Because most of us would have been saying, I'm going to be part of that 22,000. And I'm just going to get out of here, pick another leader, and let's go. Oh, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Holy cow. Oh, boy. Don't laugh. <laughs> Judges. Then God says this to him. Judges 7, 4 to 7. But the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord said to him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup the water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. First of all, don't get all hung up on that. On, I've heard so many sermons, you've heard so many sermons about why there was a difference and what that difference meant. It was purely arbitrary. All the commentaries I've read, everything I've heard over the years, there just is nothing significant about the way. It's just the way God wanted to do it. He could have said those who stand up or those who go over here, those who drink from that part of the, the, the stream, those who, he could have done it any way he wanted. But this is the way he chose to do it. The bigger issue is that he once again, on purpose, pushed Gideon's fear button. And how many times have you and I been in situations where we're going, okay, this is getting crazy now. Like, this is not getting better, it's getting worse. 
what you expect God to be delivering you from, he seems to be delivering you into. Ever have that experience? Ever say, God, no, it all should be going this way. But it all seems to be going this way. Oh, boy. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you the victory over the Midianites and all the others home. Gideon must have been in a state. Understandably so, eh? But also, you've got to think of the bravery that these 300 men had. Why, they never hightailed her out of there. They stayed with them. So you've got you to give them some credit too. So why would God decrease Gideon's natural ability? Why would he do this? Judges 7.2 tells us, The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Going back to that scripture. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they have saved themselves, or Israelites will boast they've saved themselves by their own strength. Boy, I don't like that. Because who likes being brought to a place of no strength? Who likes being put into a situation? And God deliberately did it to him. He picked the weakest guy in Israel, the guy with already had a fear issue, already had this faith issue, and he deliberately chose him. He could have left him alone, but he didn't. He deliberately chose him to show that it's going to be done by God's power and strength. As one commentator put it, there will often be times when God strips away the things or the people we lean on and brings us into situations in which we become very aware of our weaknesses. This makes us more dependent upon him. Again, never an easy place. So we have to wonder, was, God, was Gideon still scared? Was he still scared? Judges 7, 9 to 11. This is, again, the graciousness of God. It, it just blows me away. I don't know if it's striking you as strongly as it strikes me right now and has been when I was putting it together, but how gracious and patient and understanding God was with Gideon's situation. That night, the Lord said, get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. Stop statement, right? Stop statement. We don't know the pause that was after that statement. We don't know what Gideon's reply was. But we know what God said. But if you are afraid to attack, he knew Gideon was still afraid. He knew it was still there. Go down to the camp with your servant Parah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. This is so incredible. Once again, God is meeting Gideon in his place of fear. And you know what? In most cases, you know, you would look at someone like that and say, well, it's just not going to work. Give up. But God didn't give up. In the natural, people would give up on someone like that. God doesn't give up on people like that. So Gideon took Parah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. And what's so incredible, God could have criticized him. God could have really reprimanded him. But in actuality, he gave him even a provision in this situation because he told him he knew he was frightened. So he said, take Parah down with him. Parah was his his weapon, his armor bearer. So God was, take somebody to protect you because I know you're scared. You don't want to go down alone. So beautiful. 
God wants to encourage us in our fear, not disqualify us for it. God wants to build up faith, not criticize us for how small our faith is. That's how God looks at it. And I got to tell you that in some cases, the church has not been very good at encouraging faith, very good at demanding faith. Get what I'm saying? I'll never forget a woman called me. She was this incredible worship leader. Oh, my heavens. This was years ago. She played piano like, like an angel and sang like an angel. She was blind. And she phoned me one day, and she went to a church at that point that was very strong word faith. And you know what word faith was back in the 80s. It wasn't pretty. Everything that went wrong in your life was because you didn't have enough faith. And if you would just have faith, everything would work out, and you would have finances, you would have health, and you would have all those things. And to a degree, that's, there is truth to that. In, in the sense that, yes, we need to have faith. Yes, we need to believe God. But the fact that God is going to thus then give you a perfect uh, worry-free life, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's just not true. But that's how it got overblown. And then when you get desperate people in a situation like that, then, of course, all the, the stuff comes in and all the condemnation. And she phoned me one day. I was at work at the station. She phoned me. And she said in this very, uh, she obviously had been talking to somebody or just thinking. And she said, Keith, do you think that my blindness is because I don't have faith? I didn't know much. I was a young Christian. I was maybe five, six years old in the Lord. I didn't know much. And I said, I don't know everything, but I know that ain't true. And the fact that in her weakness, God did this incredible, beautiful thing, right? But you could hear the despondency and the despair. And there are times in life that that will come in. And the church has got to be so careful that we don't demand faith, but that we encourage little faith. And we feed weakness with strength. And that we give those that are weaker we admonish them and carry them and lift them along the way. This is the call of the church. So how does God encourage Gideon's, by this time, his faith, his faith is just crushed. You can imagine it. All these people leaving, all this stuff. And then God tells him, go down and listen to the camp and here's what he hears. You know the story, but it's still, it's beautiful. Judges seven thirteen to 15. Gideon crept up just as a man coincidentally, not, right, was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. I don't know about you, but that doesn't inspire a lot of faith in me for anything. But I'll explain the context. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. There you go. I've got it figured out. The man had a gift of dream interpretation right there. Yeah, that moment, that's right. Guess who gave it to him? God. 
God planted the dream. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, here's something powerful. Woo! Here's something powerful. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. What's so incredible about this is that God orchestrated that these two people who just happened to be within Gideon's earshot were coincidentally talking about a dream they had. That sounds like a divine appointment to you. Like, I don't know. But the meaning of the dream, here's what's so important about the meaning of the dream. Barley was seen at that time as a food of the poor peasants. Well, who were the poor peasants at that point? Israel. Because the Midianites and everybody were coming down and stealing it all. They're, they're actually starving. It says in the thing they were starving. And they only had the, the basic thing to eat, which was barley. And the Midianites would have understood that. That, that that food was eaten by very poor peasants. And that's the way they saw Israel. They still do see Israel that way, even though Israel owns most of the world. Um, they, the, the, many of the nations around Israel speak very negatively and impoverished about Israel. And the tents, the tents would represent the Bedouin tents of the Midianites. So the imagery to them in that day was very clear. They would have seen that. Still, it might have been a, a little bit of a jump, but nonetheless, God had given them the understanding. But what's so beautiful is, for some reason, this was the final thing Gideon needed. Because it said, then he bowed and worshipped the Lord. God had given him all these things. But it was finally this dream that he was finally convinced. And then he bowed and worshipped the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? God took him from that place of being so broken and so weak and so frightened and took him through a series of confirmations and a, a series of interactions with a, an angel and now this dream, for some reason, that was the thing that did it. And what's so encouraging about this is that God knows what you need and he knows what I need. He knows what we need to get through. And I don't know, uh, you know where you are in life. Uh, I know where I am. And, and this is a very important sermon for me. It's very strong for me. That God knows our weaknesses. And he knows what we need, and he's going to give us what we need to make the next step and the next step and the next step, even though it may be a very difficult step, and you may have to face a lot of things. The victory is so crazy because all Gideon does is he goes back and he gets a very neat idea. He says, we only have 300 people here, so what we're going to do is we're going to go down there at night. We're going to take some lanterns, cover them up so they won't see us coming. They circle encircle the Midianite camp, and then they take the, the jars that are covering the lamps, take them out, use them as noisemakers, and make a bunch of noise, show these lamps, 300 lamps, and then they're screaming, you know, victory to God and to Gideon. And the Midianites, they, don't, they just think, uh-oh, they thought they were surrounded because they already had this dream. We don't know how far this dream had gotten into the camp. And they weren't really allies anyway. 
So they just all started, you can imagine them saying, did you, did you tell them? Did, did, are you on their side? And, and all of a sudden confusion started and they started killing each other. And Gideon never had to do anything because they killed most of each other and then they went running with the wind and took off. And all Gideon had to do was go and mop up. And he chased them. And the very thing that Gideon was most frightened of, he didn't even have to face. He didn't even have to face it. And maybe the thing we fear the most is something that we'll never have to face. We'll never have to go through. I don't know about you, but I can get a pretty pretty good imagination about horrible things. That comes pretty easy. Horrible, miserable things. But it's believing that the great and possible things of God that's where we have to, that's where the work goes. Because our brains, you know, I said it in New Year's, Christmas Eve, I mean. At the end of the Christmas Eve service, for the six people that watched it, I saw the views. Um, uh, I, think, I think we might have had a whopping 12 at one point. But uh, I don't take it personally. Uh, but uh, the, I said at the end of it, I said, we have spent a whole year being scared. The government, the media, the health services, all of them, have done a tremendous job, you know, letting us know the information. But boy, oh boy, did it ever go over the top. And everyone is terrified now. I mean terrified. I was in the grocery store a week ago, and I don't know why this woman didn't have a mask on, but she didn't have a mask on. And people, this couple, were about, you know, here to the end of the thing away from her, and they were screaming at her. I'm standing there, and I'm going, this is happening. This just happened. And they're screaming and hollering at her, and, oh, I got a lung condition. You, what do you think you're doing? And she's saying, this isn't a choice. I don't know what that meant. But uh, if I'd have had a choice, I'd have had a mask on because this is what you're going to get. Um, but she, maybe she had a reason, some kind of legitimate reason. But what struck me was the incredible anger. And, I mean, is there not some room in a situation like that to go over and just say, why are you not wearing a mask? Is there, is there some reason? But the, the, the year has turned us into angry, scared, frightened people. And sometimes we have to just sit back and let's just cool down here for a minute. Because when we're, our brain has been tunneled like these, these roads, I just see these roads being paths through the your brain over and over. We've been hearing such fear and such catastrophic stuff that our brain is very keen, very easy to pick that stuff up. To try to go on another path is very hard. And to say, no, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this and we're going to make it. That's hard to do. That's not easy to do. When it's been entrenched, and especially if there's a spiritual element on top of it, but in, in summary, there's a couple of scriptures that I, uh, this scripture that I want to read out of Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. To what we believe. 
This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus understands. As someone said to me the other day, we're talking, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was not very pretty. Like he was facing something. And if the word says that he was tempted in all ways that you and I have been tempted, if we think that he wasn't fearful at some point, Garden of Gethsemane would tell us otherwise. We've made up all kinds of pious reasons of what was going on in Gethsemane to make it look spiritually enlightened and and highbrow and he was dying of a broken heart and stuff. We don't know. All we do know is that he was in something that was so tough and so hard that he needed angels to come and to lift him up. And sometimes life can get that way. Sometimes we can get there. And it's not necessarily a place of failure. It's a place of experience. It's just where we are. But even in Gideon's case and in Jesus' case, And in your case, it says that if we come, we will find the grace to help us when we need it most. And I don't know about you, but I've been needing it most. And God meets us and gets us through the day. Psalm 103, 14, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Psalm 78, verse 39, for he remembered that they were merely mortal, gone like a breath of wind. That never returns. God knows what you and I are made out of. And sometimes we have to take encouragement from someone like Gideon. It's very interesting, you know, the talks that we've been having. We started with uh, Isaiah, um, or Elijah, I mean, who was running from Jezebel. For the, just running, wanted to commit suicide, wanted to die. God met him in the middle of that fed him, and guided him through. And then you see Paul. The next one we talked about was Paul. Paul, who was in Asia and said he despaired even for his life. And what did God do? He said God delivered us and proved. What did he prove? That God raises the dead. Not just Jesus Christ. And it's almost as if Paul was learning it for the first time. He was saying, even in this deep a place of despair, God came and delivered. And here we are with Gideon. Someone else walking through a tremendous crisis of faith. A tremendous crisis and full of fear. And God met him each step of the way until he finally got to the thing that made Gideon go, God is with me. And we're going to be able to do this. Maybe somebody else would have got it at the fleece. Maybe somebody else would have got it at the angel. Ho, done deal. Giddy up, let's go. But Gideon had the need that he had. And you have your need and I have my need. And we're all trusting that God is going to bring us through whatever the situations are. So, Father, this morning we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your encouragement. We thank you for what you're telling us. That, Father, we can come 
in whatever state we are in, that we can come and we can just bring our vessel in front of you in whatever state we find ourselves. And Father God, know that you are going to meet us and that you are going to guide us and you are going to bring us through. This is your will, Father God. This is your, this is your desired purpose, Father God, to do this in our life. So, Father, I thank you for that. And I ask this morning that, Lord, for those of us who maybe need a little faith, who maybe need a little stirring, maybe need a fleece, maybe need an angel, that, Father, if there's anyone here this morning as we uh, gather in front of you that has that need in their life, just stand right now and we just stand as a testament of faith and trust that God is going to Give us those things. Father, we stand here today and ask you, Lord, meet us where we are. Meet our need. Meet, Father God, our great challenge. Meet, Father God, this fear. Meet our faithlessness. Meet, Father God, all of the struggles that we have. Come and speak, Holy Spirit. Give us what we need. Show us what we need to do. Father, we ask it. In the mighty name of Jesus, knowing that, Lord, you paid the price for all of it. You paid the price for all of it. And we are fully acceptable. And we are the beloved in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for it. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God's good, eh? (laughs) You don't know how good he is. (laughs) I say that uh, jokingly, but um, it, it's very interesting. I heard a, a talk the other day by Brennan Manning. How many know who Brennan Manning is? Brennan Manning uh, was a, a, a wonderful, wonderful saint of God who was a, an ex-Catholic priest who left the priesthood and, and is uh, just one of, he's gone now, but one of these tremendous, tremendously devout and uh, deeply uh, reverent spiritual people. And he, his main theme is God, God loves you in spite of who you are. We are not what we should be. That's why Jesus came. That's one of his great sayings. And he was talking about the fact, it's so beautiful, he went into it at length. He said, God knows your little faith. He knows all of your struggles, all of the things you are pretending to believe all the things that you are trying to hold on to. He saved you knowing the things that are in your mind and the problems that you have. He knows all of the ways that we are struggling and tripping and falling. And we're trying to not trip and fall. And we're trying to put everything back together all the time. And we're trying to be this perfect Christian. He said he knew that when he called you. And he said he was in a cave. He had spent seven months in a cave by himself in Portugal and silent. And someone would drop off food at a designated place once a week. He would get it. He would get up at two in the morning and pray for an hour. And then he would do meditations through the day for seven months. And he said, what I came out of that experience realizing is that what God has with us is an indescribable, ravaging love affair. And that in spite of all of our incredible ineptness, 
our incredible disobediences, our proneness to sin, our he knows all the stuff that we're doing. He knows the ways that we're failing. But yet he said, Jesus said this one thing to him when he was having this told to him. Jesus said, I, that is why I allowed them to spit in my face. That is why I allowed them to punch me. That is why I allowed them to do because I love you in all of that state. I love you. And that's why I died for all those things and for all those things you're trying to hide, all those things you're trying to be. I died so that you could have those. I died so that you could know that I love you in spite of those. And what a powerful truth it is we need to get a hold of. There's not time to play church. There's not time to play kind of foolish little games with the relationship that God has with us. He loves you and he loves me. And there's nothing you are going to do that, are, that is going to make you more lovely. There is nothing that is going to make him want to love you more and step in and help and step in and guide and step in and build you up. There's nothing you're going to be able to do. The only thing we can do is make ourselves available. Gideon did that. He kept on walking. He said, okay, I'm really scared, but I'm going to keep on walking, and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to stay in this game. And that's all God was looking for. And eventually he came, came to the game touchdown, which was the dream. And I pray that we all have such touchdowns in 2021. I pray that God brings us all to places of faith that, that we need to go to that we can rise up above what's trying to push down upon us. Anyway, amen. I think I, I, think I started preaching again. I think I did. Um, let's take up uh, an offering.